Hello, and thanks for sticking with us. My next guest is Simon Johnson. He's a professor at MIT, and he is a co-chair of the COVID-19 Alliance, which is organized by MIT faculty and students, and they are putting their heads together to figure out where their impact can be and what their con contribution can be. Thank you very much for joining us, Simon. Thanks for having me. Well, the last segment, we really focused on getting help right now, and now we're gonna to pivot to a different question, which is, what does the future look like? What is this teaching all of us, and how can we think about this? Uh, you did a lot of work um, thinking about uh, the economic dislocation that happened tied to the big global financial crash of 2008. We all thought, you, even the scholars thought that was the biggest it could be, and it couldn't be worse. But why don't you give us a bit of a picture of what you guys are seeing and how this compares? Well, I, I think this one is, is considerably worse, uh, potentially, uh, Judy. I mean, look, let's be clear, 2008 and, 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 and so on was extraordinarily bad for many, many people. And I would not uh, ever want to understate that. But what we're seeing here is a, is a degree of, of breakdown of, of um, government leadership, of uh, the ability of companies to cope, abilities of state governors uh, also to cope. And this is obviously having dramatic implications in terms of employment, in terms of uh, the safety of workers, workers who are essential uh, to food production and, 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 much, and much more also healthcare, obviously. Uh, so I think that we're certainly at this moment, uh, it's, it's a pretty bad downward spiral. Uh, I do think we can turn around. I'm, I'm a positive person. I and my group work on solutions uh, day in, day out. And we find many other people on, on what I would describe as massively convergent tracks with this. But this, this, is a, this is a very, very big and very bad crisis. And we were talking a little bit as we were preparing for this conversation about some sort of entrepreneurial and enterprising organizations are repurposing their staff and their facilities. And maybe you can just give us a couple of um, ideas or suggestions or observations that you've made about how that's done and how that's going well. Well, look, everything is a struggle right now, Judy. Let's, let's be clear. But I, I do know entrepreneurs, private companies, and, and the exceptional people who work there who found ways to, to pivot. Uh, for example, there's a coffee shop uh, near my house that now makes hand sanitizer. I didn't know they could do that. Uh, very imaginative, creative, smart people. I, I know another company that uh, provides technology that helps uh, operate parking lots across the United States. So now they're going to help food banks. The food banks are, 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 are jammed because they've lost a lot of their space because you can't uh, comply with social distancing requirements. And many of their volunteers were older people who must now stay at home. So the food banks are going outside. They're scaling up. And, and, and the people that, that we're working with are helping them bring, um, helping them manage logistics, helping them bring queuing solutions so people don't have to wait four hours in line, right? That's, that's important. And, and helping them bring more food out of that part of the food chain where the food previously was going to go to hotels, restaurants, and cruise ships. That food now needs to flow into the food bank type distribution path. And then there are other pieces, that, other adjustments that can be made. Anyway, new vertical solutions, let's call them using private enterprise, but in a, in a, in a very different way and, and with a lot of volunteerism, let's be clear, and, and a lot of focus on let's support people. Profit is, is, I've not heard anyone mention or care about profit, these people I work with, you know, in the past uh, more, than, more than a month. Everyone, is, everyone who's focused and working productively, I would argue right now, is focused on one thing. We survived COVID-19, we bounced back, we reopened the economy responsibly, and then we sustain that, and, and, then, and then we move into a we find ways to accelerate the growth as we come out of it. That, that's private enterprise is going to be part of that. There are going to be jobs. They're going to be well-paying jobs. 
but there is a big pivot that we need to make in order to do any and all of that. Yeah. Uh, as we said, COVID-19 is not a good thing in any way. At the same time, it's a pretty unforgiving spotlight on some of these areas of vulnerability. And I think our sort of our economic picture, uh, especially for lower wage workers with fewer protections, I think we're just seeing things kind of coming off the rails and we're gonna both need grassroots grassroot activists to put together solutions that actually work and scholars to build that into sort of evidence-based strategies um, to, to come out with something that's gonna have to look different. So um, I just feel like it's, you know, it's shined to this light that uh, we don't know exactly what the future looks like, but we do now know our frailties and the vulnerabilities that have been, re been revealed. Right. The way I would put it, I completely agree, Julia. I, I would say this, we've met, uh, humankind has met its most powerful ever enemy. The enemy is now behind us and, and causing great destruction. The enemy has a superpower, of course, which is it finds and seeks out and kills vulnerable people. And the rest of us, who are not immediately vulnerable, we, we think most of us, are, are transmitting it to the vulnerable people. Yeah. So you can either, we can either lock down the economy as we're doing and, and wait, which is incredibly devastating and, and, and very bad for, for many people, particularly lower income scale, or we could protect the vulnerable people. If we imagine a world, Judy, in which we could secure in their homes and comfortably everybody who, who could be killed by disease, including, but we'd have to provide them with food, medicine, and telehealth because they need to be able to connect with their, their doctors and, and get clinical advice. If we could do that, Judy, then everyone else, for the most part, could go back to work. Right, so the, the, what the disease has, has found, and the reason it's, one reason it's affecting us more than some other countries, is that we have a lot of inequality. We have a lot of vulnerable people, Old, older Americans, people who are, have comorbidities, people who are unhealthy, un, underlying uh, un, unhealthy conditions, and of course, poverty is very much connected, uh, connected to that. So this disease is, is, has found the weakest point of the American system and is exploiting it to, to devastating effect. But I would also say, Judy, that going forward, two things people should keep in mind. One is, this wasn't the first coronavirus, so why would it be the last? The second point is, this one is profiling the older people and the unhealthy people, but there's no reason, none known to science right now anyway, why the next coronavirus would profile in the same way. What if it profiled young people? What if it profiled children? And once you start to think about that, you realize, oh my goodness, we mustn't have the same vulnerabilities or any groups or people or types of people in our society with these vulnerabilities, because if we do, we'll be on the path to either mass death or colossal catastrophic shutdown or both. So we have to find alternatives, Judy. And, and while uh, I, I and my colleagues are working very hard on, on the immediate situation and trying to limit some of the, the damage and, 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 and frankly death uh, that we're seeing in this week and next week and, and, and soon, we're also looking at uh, longer-term solutions and longer-term systems that need to be put in place both to reopen the economy in a, in a just way, I think just is very important in this, and to, to get some growth back and, and create opportunities to, to pull people back into, into jobs, people have been, who don't get the old jobs back, there's going to be some of them. And then I think, Judy, we need to invest for the future and build a much more resilient system that can withstand coronaviruses, climate change, and everything else we can imagine, and things we can't imagine. Because we didn't imagine, let's be frank, this coronavirus. Right, right. Uh, who do you think is going to lead us out of this? Do you think it's going to be scholars and people using data? You think it's going to be, who's going to lead us forward? Well, I, I, I definitely think that data and data-driven decisions are going to be very important. And, and you can see that already. Countries around the world that are 
where they, they use data in decision making, like South Korea, for example, uh, have done much better in terms of um, even even when the crisis was bad, they were very methodical, very systematic in, in terms of their approach. So that, that is, is going to be something we, we do much more here. Um, who's going to lead us out? You know, frankly, I think it, we need new leaders. I think when leaders fail in this spectacular way in this kind of crisis, uh, you, that's what you that's what you should do. Now, where do we get these leaders? I think uh, you made the point earlier about grassroots activists. I mean, people we're connected with who really get this, who are really running their themselves and, and their systems and their colleagues fast enough are all of the grassroots, Judy. They're all people in the yeah. States. Uh, they're all people who are, you know, uh, we're working with a state senator in New Hampshire, for example, we're working with a nursing home association in Massachusetts. Uh, we're working with some terrific people on the, on the ground in, in other places. And these people are leaders. I mean, leaders are people, it doesn't matter what you got elected to or, or your job titles. Leaders are people who stand up and say, we're going to rally. This is how we're going to rally. This is how we save the first person. This is how we save the second person. And this is how we save the next five people. And when you begin to rally, Judy, what you find is in, in any crisis, and I've worked on a lot of crises over 35 years, but when you begin to rally and, and you stand up in, in that way, and I call it standing up. Uh, I think that's exactly what it is. I refuse to sit. I Now I stand up. Uh, people will stand with you. People will rally around you. All kinds of people will rally around you. They say, yes. We may have disagreed in the past. We may have different views in the future. It doesn't matter. Now we take a stand. Now we rally. Now we defend the people who need defending. And, and you know, it, at first it goes badly, of course, because it's so overwhelming. But then you start to get victories. You start to move in the right direction. And more people will rally around these new leaders. I'm, I'm confident of that. One interesting point is um, I think the strength of being able to make mistakes and learn from them in a transparent way is the way we are going to have to move forward as a culture, as a society, as a bunch of strategists, because that's the only thing that's going to work. Is, and if we're too afraid to acknowledge that we thought plan A was really a great way to go, but we've seen some real downsides on plan A, so we're moving on to plan B. We, that is where we need to live as a nation and as people at every level trying to come to solutions. So, okay. yeah, go ahead. Absolutely. Look, I, I, I say to everyone uh, that we now live in, uh, you and I, and I think everyone actually listening to, to this podcast, uh, lives now and will always live in the post-virus world. I, the world has changed dramatically and, and, and forever. You know, prior to two months ago, we believed that science had conquered the environment, and many of us were worried that we'd overdone it a bit with the technology and we'd overheated the planet. Well, it turns out science hasn't conquered the environment at all. Infectious disease has not been defeated. The, 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 the greatest, most powerful, most evil infectious disease of, of all times is, is upon us. And in this post-virus world, big P, big V, big W, okay, in the post-virus world, there must always be a plan B, Judy. So yeah. I have plan A. Plan A is I go to government, I make proposals, I know how to do this, I know how to put the one-page proposal, and I know how to back it up. And if the government wants to do this, we'll work with the government. But when the government doesn't want to do it, I have to say right now, many governments, uh, government levels, federal government can't do it for whatever reason, won't do it, perhaps. Uh, state levels are, state level is really struggling. Then you go to plan B. And plan B is you find the people on the ground, people who want to rally, the people who need resources. You bring them resources. You, you bring them data. You show them what the data means, you think. You, you, you get feedback on that. Uh, and you help them in ways that they want to be helped. Yeah. And the first, first thing we do when we meet new people in, in, this, um, in this entire process, Judy, is we sit quietly and we listen to them. Because you have to listen yeah. to people and you have to listen to what, I'm, I'm not doing this to fix my problems or, my, or you know, impose my view of the world. 
I'm sitting and listening to people tell me what their problems are. And then my job is to bring them uh, people, resources, ideas, data systems, whatever it takes to solve their problems at the grassroots level. That's great. So you said you had a short list of kind of actionable, hopeful solutions. Give us something to, to, to hear and to think about that um, people in your neck of the woods are, are leading on. Well, I, I, it's a long list, actually, Judy, but let me give you the highlights from, from a okay. fairly long list. The most important thing is, is when we come to the stage of wanting to try to reopen the economy, we have to protect vulnerable people comprehensively. And I mean, leave no one behind. And I understand that's a, a big ask. I understand there's some expense to that. But believe me, it's a lot cheaper than reopening the economy and shutting it down again. So people have to get that budget math in their mind. You know, as a good friend of mine uh, says in this situation, if you can't do it with compassion, do it with fiscal, meaning exactly. people should care. People should really care. Not, they don't, don't want to kill people. But if you don't buy that, let me show you the numbers because yes. you don't, don't shut the economy down again either. Once we get through that stage, Judy, and once we build robust systems for data-driven decisions about can we stay open, what are the risks, where's the infection now, I think we can have a, let's, say, let's call it a selective um, social distancing where when the, an infection pops up, you, you might say, okay, in this town we need quarantine, in this town we're going to bring resources, and nobody can come in and out for a while until we track down exactly where the infection is, but the rest of the, that regional, that state, can stay operating as long as we know where the infection is. But beyond that, Judy, we need to jumpstart America. Now, Jumpstarting America is actually the title of a book I wrote a year ago with John Gruber from, from MIT. And we were arguing for more investment in science and technology, arguing this will create more good jobs, that this was what the US used to do very well. And we sort of lost, lost track of that and taken off that ball over the past couple of, or three or four decades, frankly. So I still think we need to jumpstart. Clearly now we've got a lot of people, more people who need jobs. Clearly now we know exactly what the most pressing scientific problem is, which is coronaviruses. But we surely have also learned, let's hope, that you don't want to fight the last war with your scientific effort. You want to get ahead of it. You want to build capacities. You want to develop people and abilities. And, and, and when you do this, you, you create good jobs. You pay good wages. There will be a lot more manufacturing in this country also, by the way, because we're not going to run supply chains for anything critical or essential medical or otherwise, across international borders, which is not. It won't be allowed, right? So this is, this is American innovation, American industry, American jobs with good wages. You cannot rebuild, or sorry, not rebuild, cannot create a more resilient American system if you're paying people wages that mean they're below the poverty line, they can't have health insurance. I mean, I, I was arguing this before, to be, to, to be clear, um, and, and so were many other people. But if this is not self-evident right now, I think it will yeah. be in, in yeah. time. So the, the point is, you know, in the post-virus world, I, I have no hard feelings, uh, Judy, honestly. No recriminations. Very little. I mean, I have a lot of emotion about the, the human suffering, but little emotion about people I meet in the political sphere. You know, there's a, it's clear what we need to do. We need to, re, we need to reopen, rebuild, and, and restart and jumpstart the, the economy. And it's clear this has to be done in a fair, just way. Because if you don't, you're opening yourself up to exactly the same catastrophe or let's be let's be clear worse if the next virus comes for our children that would be a lot worse let's, let's, let's focus on that point really I mean, it's, it's horrible to think i understand it's a shocking thing to say i know but it's very important that people remember if our children were in the line of fire right now nothing nothing yeah. that is moderately okay or somewhat survivable would would, would, would be at all everybody would be completely freaking out and for right. good reason so that must not happen and, and we, uh, and it must not happen to the world, by the way. 
I mean, the idea that we could live in some enclave protected and, and, and distant from other people's disease, uh, that was always a fantasy and, and, and that this has just brought that home. So America can rebuild, America can help itself and we can help ourselves, but then we can help the world. Because the right way to respond in any such crisis, Judy, is secure your family, secure your friends, secure your neighborhood, start with your street, then secure your neighborhood, and then your town, and then the people, your state, and then the country, and then the world. That is the legitimate way to do it. That's the sensible way to do it. That's what people we work with want to do and, and are working on. And, and I, I'm actually uh, confident, Judy, that we're going to get there. I am not happy with the, with the death and destruction that we see. It's awful. Let me, let me be very clear. But my job is, is solutions. We, yeah. we work, let's, let's call, I know this might, might, in the pre-virus world, this might have sounded arrogant, but I, I, I don't believe I have. In the, in the post-virus world, I'm just stating the facts, Judy. We, the COVID-19 Policy Alliance, or covidalliance.com, we work end-to-end -end solutions for COVID-19. Right? We'll go as far back as it takes. We'll look at every single piece. We don't need to do it all. If there are competent people running pieces, we work with them. If the government can handle a piece, when the government can handle a piece, uh, we'll hand it over to them. doesn't happen very much these days, but we'll, we'll get there. So we ourselves, from the grassroots, together, everyone, can rebuild, restart, and then jump start a better American future. But we mustn't stop that. We've got to think about the world, because if you leave the world vulnerable, and we think we can live isolated or insulated, then, then that, that is a complete delusion, a delusion just as profound as the set of delusions that frankly have brought us to this rather catastrophic moment. Well, it is a catastrophic moment, but I think you, this conversation has given me some ideas and strategies to think about going forward with some sense of hope. So I want to thank you, Simon, for your time and for your hard work. And um, thank you very much for being part of this series on how we help our friends, our neighbors, our communities move forward through the depredations of, of COVID-19. Well, well, thank you, Judy, for, for your time. Thank you for your voice. And thank you for everything that, that you're doing for everyone that you were doing before and that you're doing now that, that I know that you're going to do going forward. We, we need you, Judy, and, and we really appreciate you. Thank you, Simon. Thank you.